Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Yeah, it's um, now time for us to move into our, our teaching. And we have Craig McGregor with us, one of our elders. Um, really stoked to have him come and speak. Uh, he's told me he's got his preaching shoes on and he's ready to go. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, no, really excited to hear what you have to share with us this morning, Craig. So just want to hand it over to you. Well, thank you, Isaac. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, as mentioned, my name's Craig, and and yeah, these shoes that they've got a bit of a story, so I probably should tell it. Eh? So, um, hopefully, the slides are starting to work, but we'll see. Anyway, um, let's see if this works. Right? Okay. Well, maybe the person at the back can do that. So anyway, so these these shoes a couple of months ago uh, was my birthday, and birthdays for me. Um, I always seem to find out what I'm getting, but this year was good. This year was great because I got surprises. And uh, I got this box, and my eldest daughter, she handed it over to me, and I had no idea, and I opened them up, and I pulled out this bright, shiny blue shoe, and I said, ooh, they are snazzy. And, and uh, my wife looked at them and said, oh, they're super. And, and so they're called the super blue snazzy shoes in my home, and... And, and the thing is, as I was sort of trying them on, prancing around in them, uh, my daughter said to me, she said, Dad, you know, every time you preach, you've got to wear those shoes. And I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. And a couple of weeks ago, she found out I was preaching, and she said, remember the shoes, eh? And I thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now, yes has got to be a yes, doesn't it? And so, um, so I was sort of thinking to myself, um, you know, what would... What would happen? What would happen if there was like a dress code for shoes here at Crossroads? I mean, what what would that be like, right? So, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that, that that'd be pretty tough, wouldn't it? Like, maybe Crossroads rebranded. This was the Super Blue Snazzy Shoe Church, and sort of you turned up, uh, you turned up one morning, and you were wearing some red limited edition Nikes, something like that. And I'm the shoe police, and I'm at the front door. Good morning, good morning. And you sort of like point to your limited edition red Nikes, and you go, look at these, aren't they great? And I go, well, they are certainly cool, no doubt about that. They're certainly super, but they're not blue, are they? This is the super blue snazzy shoe church. Not welcome. Oh, so you go away a bit disappointed, but maybe you've got a bit of tenacity. Maybe you have. That's good, eh? And you sort of turn up next week, and you're wearing, you know, some blue Crocs. Oh, blue Crocs. And you sort of go, well, look at these. My Crocs rock. And they I go, yeah, they, they really do. I mean, Crocs are, there we go. Crocs are pretty cool. And they're blue. And I mean, like Crocs, you know, actually, I don't own any Crocs. I own the ones from the number one shoe warehouse, but um, they're still pretty good. Anyway, so you're wearing blue Crocs, and they're versatile, and they're sort of comfortable. And I look at them, and you look at them, and I go, are they snazzy? I'm like, are they like these bad boys, really? Are they? Are they? I don't think so. Not welcome. 
There's nothing quite like being excluded. But the handout, this place ain't for you. Nothing like being not invited to the party. Nothing quite has so much pain and hurt in your life when you're not welcome. I reckon people, I reckon people, all sorts of people, we polarise over everything. We can say, you're not welcome in my group because you don't think the same way politically. Or you're a different race. Or perhaps your social status. Or perhaps gender. You're not girl, you're not boy, whatever. We can seem to polarise and exclude and put the big not welcome hand out for so many reasons. Churches are meant to be like that. Church is meant to be all shoes are welcome. And we are carrying on, as Isaac's mentioned, in a series called For This Reason. And For This Reason is a series based in the book of Ephesians. Based in the book of Ephesians. And it's a, a little church in Ephesus. And the book is written 2,000 years ago, this book, this letter, to a church. But it's just as relevant and practical today as it was back then. We started it off a few weeks ago when Pastor Reuben got up and he spoke. And oh, just on that, before I go any further, if you haven't heard the previous sermons, please listen to them on YouTube. They are fantastic, all three so far. This one, probably a bit dodgy. But <laughs> anyway, so Pastor Reuben started it off. And he started off with that we were chosen by God or chosen by the Father. We were redeemed by the Son we're sealed by the Spirit. That is foundational for this whole series, that little passage. And then Pastor Isaac carried it on the following week and said that we pray for revelation, we pray for wisdom and understanding so that we can see the world through God's eyes. And then Pastor Reuben again, <laughs> he's busy, isn't he? Anyway, so Pastor Reuben followed it up last week talking about our great salvation, how precious it was and what a free gift it is. And so with all that sort of in the background leading up to today, Paul is going to write and confront an issue which is in the church. It's a church which is divided. There's division in the church between the Jewish believers at the time and the Gentile believers. Paul is going to confront this issue and saying, hey guys, that's not how it is for this reason. We are one people. Now sometimes, sometimes when we, oh there we go, it's good. Sometimes when we read uh, the Bible, we read it with 2,000 years of church history. We sort of read it with, I suppose you could say, 21st century glasses on. We read the Bible with sort of our own sort of like cultural biases, you could say. We read it and we go, oh, that's not really an issue. Because we've sort of had all these years to sort of work it out. But it was a huge issue for the church back then. And the thing is, when, when Peter preached at Pentecost, and Reuben mentioned this last week, one of the highlights, definitely one of the highlights in Peter's life. At Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit has come upon the apostles and the disciples, and Peter steps out. And he preaches in Jerusalem that day. 
And 3,000 people come to know the Lord that day. It is amazing. And the book of Acts records that there are 16 different races there that sort of hear this in their own language and they go, man, this is incredible. 16 different races convert, you know, different people groups coming to know Christ. And we sort of think, wow, that's obviously how the gospel sort of goes out to the world. And it is. But we do overlook one little thing here. And we overlook it because we don't sort of understand it as well. Because the people that Peter is preaching to are there in Jerusalem for two Jewish festivals. Passover, what we know as Easter, and also Pentecost. And the reason why they're there at the Jewish festivals (laughs) is because they're Jewish. And the thing is, when they hear about Christ, they are just enamored. This is the Messiah they've been waiting for. And they love Jesus like we do. And they keep on talking about Jesus like we do. Because like, more people get added to their na- numbers each day. But they don't suddenly throw their Judaism out the window. In fact, in the very early days in the book of Acts... Come to Jesus was coming through a very Jewish door. And so, for this, Paul is going to say, hey, we are one people. These things have gone. But for the Jewish believers early on, and it took about 10 years for them to start to really sort of understand that the Gentiles were invited to this as well. For these early Jewish believers, you sort of have to understand a Jewish mindset in some ways. The Jewish people at this stage have had about two and a half thousand years of history. New Zealanders, we've got about, you know, 200 odd years of history. I mean, we've got our own culture. We like rugby. We hate the English rugby team. (laughs) We hate the Australian cricket team, and that's about it. But, you know, but we have our own culture. But for the Jewish people, they've got two and a half thousand years of culture and their mindset is very different. No other race has been more scorned or hated upon, enslaved, taken in captivity, absolutely abused, made war upon. And so for the Jewish person, even the early Jewish believer, they've built up building blocks of animosity and toxicity and negativity and ferocity and hostility towards other races. And this is what Paul is going to address. This is what Paul is writing about and saying, no, that wall has gone. So let's pick it up. If you've got a a Bible, we're going to turn to Ephesians. We're in chapter 2. Oh, there we are. There's the wall of hostility. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I tried to pick up Reuben's version, the Northern Ireland version. That's last week's one, the NIV. I've got to be honest. This is true. I read the NIV. I had no idea what it was saying. So I've gone this way. So let's read it. Ephesians chapter 2. We're just going to read a couple of verses. Don't forget that you Gentiles... You used to be outsiders by birth. 
You are called the uncircumcised ones by the Jews who are proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Or just on that, that's actually a racial insult. That is a racial insult. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from God's people, Israel. And you did not know the promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Sort of quite a depressing start to the sermon, really, isn't it? And what Paul is basically saying here is he's saying that you guys, if you're not Jewish, you were not invited to the party. Not invited to the party. And that, that passage I read out, when I read it, especially in this version, it sort of reads like a rap sheet of charges against the non-Jewish races. Basically everyone. This is before Christ. You were outsiders. Not welcome. You are living apart from Christ. You're excluded from God's people. In that first week of this series, we learned of the sovereignty of God, how he chooses who he wills. He chose Abraham. He chose a whole race of people. You're excluded. You did not know the promises God made to Israel. God has made some specific promises for the Jewish people that they would inherit a kingdom, that they would inherit a land, that there would be national salvation. That's for the Jewish people. You are without God and without hope. Utterly hopeless. Utterly hopeless. Paul actually flips this on his head in the book of Romans. And he shows what it is to look like from the Jewish point of view. Listen to this from Romans 9. They are the people of Israel. They are chosen to be God's special children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them or promises. He gave his law to them. They have the privilege of worshipping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Their ancestors were great people of God. And Christ himself was a Jew as far as his human nature is concerned. So you can see that there is this wall. Everybody is looking at life very differently. You can see how the the Jewish people and these early believers had a very different mindset. And and the thing is, the, the interesting thing is, is that the Jewish people were originally meant to be, you could say, the prototype evangelists. They were meant to be the light. They were meant to show the nations around them God, God in his glory. But instead of sort of going outwards, they, they became inwards. They started to separate. In fact, here's something interesting you may not know. The, the Pharisees at the time of Jesus, the word Pharisee means to separate oneself. The separated ones. And they segregated themselves. And they put up their hands and they said, not welcome. And what happens when someone puts up their hand to you and say, you're not welcome in our group? 
Well, well, you just put up your hand as well and go, well, I don't want to go anyway. I don't like your group. I'll sort my own out. And this is, this is a big deal. And it's to this that Paul is going to throw this clangor down, which changes everything. But just before I read that, I want to tell you a little bit more. A little bit more about the separation of the Jewish people at Jesus' time. The separation was so great, it seemed best at their, their temple, the heart of Judaism. Now that temple, the, the big building on your right, that's where God's presence was. The holy of holies in the most holy place. Or the holy place in the most holy place. In there, this is, this is where the separation is seen at its greatest. A high priest, a Jewish male from the tribe of Levi, from the house of Aaron, on one day a year would go there and sprinkle blood on an altar. That, that area was separated by a curtain where a priest would go in each day and like incense, smoke would go up before God. That was the temple. Only a priest could go in once a day for the, most, for the holy place and the high priest on one day a year. Now that was just for Jewish male priests. Outside of that temple was called the court of the priests. So a priest could only even get near the temple. Now you can't see that on there, but beside that there's another little area called the court of the Israelites. It's before that big gate you see in the middle of the screen. And that's for Jewish males. The gate in the middle separates the Jewish men from the Jewish woman. It's called the court of the woman. It's a much bigger area. Somehow women need more room, don't they? Look at your wardrobe, something seriously. So anyway. <laughs> and that, that, that in, is enclosed, and that is a raised area. There are steps going down like this, down, down, down like this. And at the base of the steps, there is a five-foot wall. A five-foot wall which separates the enclosure to the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles is where Jesus would flip the tables over with the moneylenders. That's where that happened. Now, at the base, there was this wall called a barricade. And the barricade had signs on it all along the wall in different languages. And the signs did not say, Welcome to the temple, the heart of Jerusalem. We'd love to see you here. This is what was on the barricade. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. You are not welcome. Here at Crossroads, we have a place for you. Sort of just sounds a bit more friendly. <laughs> I suppose, you know, if we were ever to rebrand, there's an option, but, you know. Let's see what Paul writes, eh? Paul is going to confront the segregation. But now, everything has changed. But, but now you belong to Christ Jesus. Though you were once far away from God. Now you've been brought near to him because of the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has made peace between us Jews 
and you Gentiles by making us all one people. He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. Where you see that word there, the wall of hostility, that is a not too subtle reference to say that barricade with those not welcome signs on, that's gone. By his death, he ended the whole system of Jewish law that excluded the Gentiles. His purpose, his purpose was to make peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating him himself one new person from two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He has brought this good news of peace to you, Gentiles who were far away from him, and to us Jews who were near. And now all of us, both Jews and Gentiles, may come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. That is seismic. <laughs> if it was on the Richter scale, that's hitting nine magnitude. We are one people. And basically what Paul is saying here is that Christ has invited me to the party that I wasn't welcome to. Christ invites me to the party. It's called a new covenant or a new promise. He's rewritten the party invitation list and he's put your name on it. And he's written this invitation list in his own blood. It is an absolutely stunning statement, this. No more having to go through a Jewish door of keeping the Sabbath or the other dietary requirements, the festivals, all that stuff. He's nailed that to the cross. You see, the, the thing is, he's broken down that wall of hostility, first and foremost, between us and God. Our sin reaches all the way to heaven. But Christ has broken that down. And remember that first week we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Christ's Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And the thing is, this is the key. You see, it says he is our peace. It's not that just Christ talked about peace and, hey, guys, I think peace is a good idea. Let's not fight. It's not that. Christ dwells in us, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and the attributes, or some of them, the first three of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Peace actually now is in us, and peace starts to come out of us. And that's why we can live in peace with those who have hated us, those who have excluded us. And it changes everybody's attitude when Christ dwells in you. Let me, let me try and explain it with a story. A lot of you who know me, whoop, 
Story's gone. Maybe we'll find it. Here we are. Story's back. A lot of you who know me know that um, uh, I really do like history, and particularly war history. I know, probably not the best topic when you're talking about peace. But anyway, this is a guy called Louis Zamperini. Uh, Louis Zamperini uh, was born in about the 20s from memory, and uh, there's an exciting film made about him. It's called Unbroken. Anyway, anyway, Louis Zamperini, he, he grew up, and he grew up sort of, you know, in a family, but he was sort of always in trouble with the law. And he, he used to run away from the law all the time, and he was quick. And the, the police officers who you sort of would finally round him up for what can we do with this kid? So they got him involved with all things athletics, track and field. And he was very good. And he actually represented America at the 1936 Olympics. Didn't win a medal, but got to the final. Went back to America and a bit of a hero, represented Cal State or one of those universities, Southern Cal, whatever. He was a track star, held some world records. When World War II broke out, Louis, being a patriot, joined the Air Force. He was in a bomber crew. He was the bombardier. He dropped the bombs, and he was in a plane, and they would fly around the Pacific. His plane, he was known as Lucky Louis because he always survived. But one day, Lucky Louis' plane got shot pretty bad. They managed to land it. And it was a good plane, but it was shot to bits. So the Air Force, the top brass, put him in another plane, his crew. They didn't want to go because the other plane was notorious for mechanical failure. So they flew off to do a reconnaissance mission, literally in the middle of the Pacific. And of course, both engines blew out on one side. The plane tipped over, hit the sea, boom, at hard rate. There was an 11-man crew. Of that 11-man crew, eight died on impact. Louis got to the surface and a life raft sort of popped up. He swam to it and two others got on. They were adrift at sea for 47 days. Louis prayed to God every day. Even though he didn't really believe in God, he prayed. During that time, one of his buddies died, so Louis had to put him over the board and sink. During that time of 47 days, he lived on a bit of raw fish, which would sometimes they'd catch with their hand, maybe a bit of the old albatross which landed on the boat. It got worse for Louis than that, because during that time, a Japanese plane spotted them, shot them, had a few holes in the life raft sort of stuff, but Louis had to jump into the water where there were sharks in. There were 10 to 15 foot sharks, so Louis recounts kicking the sharks in the head with his foot. You'd want to be accurate, wouldn't you? And, you know, just to get him away. But Louis, after 47 days, they rescued by the Japanese. And Louis, at this stage, they make him crawl up this island beach to his new home. He weighs 30 kilograms. He is so weak he can't walk. And they throw him in a mud cell and they tell him, welcome, that's nice at least, welcome to Execution Island. And each day they torment him, mentally torment him, that we are going to chop your head off today. Nobody gets out here alive. So Louis's got dysentery, and he's full of fear, and he's mentally tormented, but they find out that Louis is a track star from the States, so they keep him alive. They send him to another prisoner of war camp. You'd think it'd get better. It got worse. He is beaten savagely, 
tortured savagely in this new prisoner of war camp. And at the end of the war, about a year and a half later, after he's been in that prisoner of war camp, the, the prisoner of war camp's liberated. Louis goes back to America. He's a hero going back to America. He meets this young girl and they get married. But Louis is tormented from what happened. Absolutely tormented. The nightmares are so savage for him. He hits the bottle really hard. And one night, the nightmare is so bad, he wakes up and his wife is sort of mumbling, sort of half yelling. He's strangling her. And she says, I want out. Louis, I want out. But then she says, there's a preacher coming to town. Maybe that preacher can help you. And Louis agrees to save his marriage to go along and hear the preacher. And that night, as he hears a young man called Billy Graham preach, Louis remembers his talking to God on the raft. And Louis realizes that the problem is not the bottle or the, or the nightmares, but his problem is actually his sin, which goes all the way to heaven. And Louis asks for forgiveness. And at that moment, Louis's life changes. From that night onwards, Louis never had another nightmare until he died at 92. And Louis realizes, this is in 1947, that he needs to do something about what happened to him in Japan. So in 1950, Louis goes back to Japan. The guards that had tortured him, they had all been captured. They'd been put in prison. So Louis goes back to that prison. Does he go back with vengeance? Louis goes back and says, I forgive you. And I love you. And I want to tell you about Christ. That's how we can live with the peace of Christ. We just sung a song. You don't have to live no longer with the nightmares, with the despair. You don't no longer have to live with hatred. You no longer have to live with that, that toxicity and negativity towards others. You can live in freedom and live in f f forgiveness. And you can live with peace. That's the story of the gospel. That's how powerful it is. So, you weren't invited to the party, but Christ invited you to the party. There's another stage. This is my family party, and it's going to go off. I want to read to you this, this last little part. So now... So now, you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and you're no longer foreigners. Isn't that good? You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. We're his house. We're built on what? We're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And holding the whole house up is Christ Jesus himself. We who believe are carefully joined together becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also joined together as part of this dwelling 
where God lives by his spirit. The scriptures, God's word, are full with metaphor and analogy of us being one people. Just full of it, chocker. Where's one body, because there's one head, that's Christ. There's one bridegroom who's Christ, and we are the bride. There is one set of branches for one vine. There is one flock of sheep, because there's only one good shepherd. There is one kingdom people, because there is one king. The point of it all is that it doesn't matter what shoes you wear. We are one. You could have super blue snazzy shoes. You could have red shoes, blue Crocs, sandals with socks. It doesn't matter. Actually, <laughs> that does matter. <laughs> that, that sort of fashion faux pas from the 70s will never come back. Surely not. Don't do it. Anyway, it doesn't even matter if you don't wear shoes. Remember that rap sheet of charges, outsiders excluded. Now look at it. You're no longer that. You're part of the family. There's going to be a party. You are part of the citizenship of heaven. If you give your life to Christ, that is a big deal. That is massive. And that temple that you're excluded from, what's happening now? Look at this. You are the temple. That, that is very big. What, when you think about a temple, a temple is where God and humanity meet. Where you go to meet God, where you go to worship God, where you go to sacrifice to God, where you go to for, ask God for your forgiveness of your sins. And the thing is, as we are carefully joined together, and as Isaac said, where two or three are gathered, as we gather together, People can meet God through us because God is within us. It's the point of the church. So others can find God. So you were excluded, but now you're included. You were separated, but now you're, now you're integrated. You were foreigners, but now you're family. So for this reason, we are one people. Let's pray. He atua, O God. Atafai kwei, you are so beautiful. Wairua tapu, Holy Spirit, no mai ra, you are welcome here. Father, we love you and we thank you that you have called us that you broke down walls that we could have never broken down and that you dwell within us now through your spirit so that we can have peace with you and we can live in peace with one another. Jesus, we thank you for everything you've done. We are so grateful for Calvary. We give you praise, we give you glory, and we thank you for your great love. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, 
Or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.